0: Jesus bore. Behold the crown, of thorns that he wore. Behold the price that Jesus paid, the glorious sacrifice that he made. Behold It's been rolled away, behold his resurrection power, while he lives again, yes he lives this hour. The saints of God
1: Easter time, and the very, very pregnant mother was talking over with her children what they should name the new baby. She was thinking in the back of her mind, wouldn't it be something if the child was born on Easter? But she didn't say that. The oldest boy was 10, and he said, well, Mom, if it's a boy let's uh, name him John and the girl who was three years younger said well if it's a girl could we name her Mary and the smallest one who was four said well if it's a dog can we name it lassie You know, in the next 24 hours, this is a really amazing. In the next 24 hours, there's going to be over a billion people worshiping the risen Lord. Isn't that amazing? A billion people. Why is Easter so important? I believe it's important for two reasons. One, because it proves who Jesus is. And secondly, because it validates what he taught. This morning, I want us to look at these two reasons a bit more in depth. Number one, Easter proves who Jesus is. I want you to look with me at our passage for this morning. John 8, beginning in verse 25. John 8, verse 25. And they said to Jesus, who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them about the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Jesus made some really really big claims. You know that as you study the New Testament. He said, I am perfect. That's very difficult for any of us. He said, I am the savior of the world. He said, I'm the only way to heaven. He said, I am God. He said, I am the Messiah. These were incredible claims. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. No other religious leader has ever said those kinds of things. No one else has ever claimed to be God. Buddha never claimed to be God. Muhammad never claimed to be God. Jesus made some really, really big claims. When you say you are the way and the truth and the life, and there is no middle ground left, Jesus is either who he said he was or he isn't. He is either the Son of God or he is a liar, and worse yet, a lunatic. The fact is that Jesus said he would validate all of his claims by not staying dead. He does not say he is one of the ways to heaven. He says he is the only way to heaven. Before the triumphal entry, Jesus said to the disciples in Mark ten, thirty-two, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Have you ever wondered just exactly why they killed Jesus? They killed him because of who he said he was. He claimed to be God. When Jesus did this, the religious leaders had two options. They could either bow down and worship him, or they could scheme together about how they could get him crucified. And we, of course, know the choice that they made. The problem for them was that he did not remain dead. Three days later, he came up out of the grave. He came back to life. The Roman soldiers put a very, very heavy stone in front of the tomb. They thought they were showing their power by doing that. But in reality, they were helping to prove the power of God at work in the body of Jesus. The lady was directing the children's Easter performance. She asked each child what role they wanted to play in the presentation. One little boy immediately said, I want to be the rock in front of the garden tomb. And she said, well, wouldn't you like to have a speaking part somewhere in it? He said, no, no, I want to be the rock in front of the tune. Well, they went ahead and practiced, and they went ahead and had the presentation, and it just went real well. After it was over, the lady director asked the boy, why did you want so badly to be the rock? The little boy broke into a big smile and said, it just felt so good. To let Jesus out of the tomb. Well, he's out. And he's still working in and among us this very day. He's with us, working with us, helping us, leading us, guiding us. The resurrection of Jesus is a matter of wide acceptance. It did not happen in secret. There were over 500 people that saw him alive after the resurrection. There were at least 15 different times that he appeared to different people, sometimes a group, sometimes one, sometimes two, different groups. He walked with the people. He talked to various people. He ate with people. He even let some of them touch his resurrected body. His resurrection was well-documented. It was not a story made up by a couple of the disciples to save face. George Gallup did a survey a number of years ago, and in the survey he discovered that 89% of Americans believe that it is established fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The real question, of course, is this. What difference has that made in our lives? Do you believe for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have, would have, will have eternal life? If you believe that, then the resurrection has a very pleasant meaning for you. There is some irony in the fact that non-Christians have to acknowledge the life and resurrection of Jesus almost every day. Every time you write down a date, you are saying that this is so many years after Jesus. Of course, no one would recognize Jesus if he had not come out of the tomb, and we wouldn't be here today if he hadn't come out of the tomb. The second point, Easter authenticates the teachings of Jesus. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, don't you know a lot of people that are not free? There are a lot of folks that are captive to worry, to guilt, to depression, to bitterness, to anger, to fatigue, to some low esteem. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, what is the truth that sets you free? I want to mention four things, four truths that set us free. Number one, God made you with a purpose in mind. No one here is here by accident. I don't care what the circumstances were in reference to your birth. It was not an accident. Some people say, well, this this was kind of an accident. No, it wasn't an accident. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. God had a purpose for you being born. He planned you long before your birth. Read Psalms 139. God, not only did he plan you, but he also loved you. What is the purpose of life? Do I just get up in the morning and go to work and at 10 have a coffee break and then work till lunch and then eat a good lunch and then work all afternoon and then drive home and then eat supper and then watch TV and eventually kind of snooze off and, uh, uh, you know, go to bed? Is that all there is? Is that the whole deal? Of course not. The fact is, the Bible tells us that God made us with a purpose in mind. The truth is, until you find out what the purpose is that God has for your life, you're just existing. Many of you found your purpose in life a long, long time ago that God wanted you to have, and you have followed that to the best of your ability. We in America have a lot to live on, but so many people have very little to live for. On the other hand, when you discover what God wants you to achieve in your life, your life takes on a new meaning. That's one of the reasons our church is here. We try and help folks find out what it is that is their purpose for their life. Your life takes on new meaning, significance, and fulfillment far beyond what you thought was possible. That's the good news, the great news of Easter. Number two, I can know God personally. Have you ever prayed and wondered if your prayers really went anywhere? Have you ever prayed and thought, I wonder if my prayer is getting beyond the ceiling. Have you ever wondered if there really was a God who was listening to every prayer that you utter? Well, the answer to that is yes. God is interested in the smallest detail of your life. The scripture says that he knows the number of hairs on your head It's easier for some than for others. More important than the fact that God knows everything about you is the fact that God wants you to know him. I'm not talking about knowing about God. I'm talking about knowing God. There's a word for knowing about God, and that word is religion. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care if you're a member of a cult or you're a Protestant or a Catholic or Jewish. That's not what's important. What is important is whether or not you have a personal relationship to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to earth to start up a new religion. Religion is a lot like an inoculation. When you are inoculated for a disease, you are immunized by giving you enough of the disease so you won't get the real thing. With religion, a lot of people get just enough knowledge about God to inoculate themselves from getting the real thing. Number three, I can be forgiven and get a fresh start. That's a tremendous truth because, you know, so many people today carry around a great deal of guilt. We have those if-onlys. If If I hadn't done that. Or if I had only done that. We all have regrets. You know, guilt uh, builds the barrier between us and God if you're hesitant to have a close relationship to God because you fear his judgment. You don't want to get too close to it. In that case, then you have totally misunderstood the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He's not here to run you down. He's not here to trample all over you. He's here to save you. He's here to lift you up. Guilt also builds barrier between you and, and other people. If you feel guilty about something that has happened, maybe something that you did to a certain person, and every time you're around them, you feel a lot of guilt. You don't want to see them. You don't want to walk past them in the hall. All of us have made decisions which we wished we had not made. We've all done some things, said some things, that we wish we had not said or done. We have all thought some things that we wish that we had never thought. If we lowered this screen and we put up there, Bob, all of the actions and thoughts and things that we have done, and we just kind of ran it over and over. That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it, Vern? We would get embarrassed to death. I know I would be. I don't want all my stuff up there on that screen. And you don't either. Well, why? Because none of us is perfect. Jesus said we can be forgiven and start over. Colossians 2.13 says, God has made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, and he took those and nailed them to the cross. It's like a canceled check. Let me ask you, how long do you remember a debt that has been paid? You don't remember it all, do you? Once it's paid, it's over, it's done with, and you forget it. God is telling you that you don't need to worry about your sins because they have been paid for if you have a relationship to his son. The point is this. God has forgiven it, then you can forget it. That's the good news of Easter. If you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to get this. I want you to get this, please. Regardless of who you are, Regardless of whatever you have ever done, you matter a great deal to God. Nobody will love you more than Jesus. He died for you on Calvary's cross. We celebrated that on Good Friday. We realized the the bounty of that on Easter morning is we realize that he came up out of the grave for you and for me, that our lives could be abundant, could be wonderful, could be fulfilling. He has already paid your debt for everything you have done. You can stop nailing yourself to a cross. He's already done that for you. That's the good news. And then number four, I can go to heaven when I die. The message of Easter is that death has been beaten. But an even better message is that you and I can beat it too by trusting in Jesus. Death is not the end. It is a fact that death is a universal experience. We are all going to die, every one of us. We all know that. Only a fool would go through his whole life unprepared for something that he knows is going to happen. Eventually, all of us wonder what's going to happen to us when we die. There are movies, there are books, there are articles in the paper, articles in magazines, things on the internet, opinions about what it means when you die, what happens then. Most of all of that is off base. If you really want to know the truth of what happens to you when you die, you've got to check the book. It's in there. It's in the book. And, and, And that's good. That's good. The authority is Jesus Christ. Obviously, he knows a lot more about death than we do. He died and he was raised from the dead. Let me tell you what the Bible says is going to happen to you when you die. Now, listen, this is news you can use every day for the rest of your life. Here's what the Bible says is going to happen to you when you die. Heaven is a perfect place. No sadness, no sorrow, no pain, no sin, none of that. Number two, if you're going to live there, you have to be perfect. Well, that makes it tough, doesn't it? Because we're not. I don't stand a chance, you're saying to yourself. Well, you're exactly right. That's why God came up with an alternate plan. There are two ways to get to heaven. There's plan A, be perfect. Uh, if you were able to live a perfect life, God would open the door of heaven and say, come right on in. But guess what? Nobody's but one's ever done that. That would be like meeting the criteria of the baseball hall of fame. You would always get a hit a thousand percent time. Play errorless uh, ball in the field. Never make an error. That would be impossible. You face similar odds by trying to get into heaven by living an absolutely perfect life. God knows that so he came up with plan B. Now this is what interests all of us. Another way is to trust the only person who lived a perfect life to get you into heaven on his merits, not on our merits. That person is Jesus. You get into heaven by trusting Jesus and establishing a relationship with him. Evangelist Ron Dunn told a story that I heard about 40 years ago. I wrote it down. I liked it. He tells this story about taking his son to celebrate his birthday to the carnival. And he knew that his son would probably like to have a few of his friends go with him. And so he asked four different kids that were his friends to go with him. And they went to the carnival together. At each ride, Rondon would uh, give a ticket to his son and a ticket to each of the other kids. When they got to about the fifth ride, Rhonda noticed that uh, the number of friends had increased by one. He stopped and asked the new friend, who, who, who are you? Who are you? And the boy replied, I'm your son's new friend. <laughs> he told me if I were his friend, that his father would give me a ticket. One day, you're going to stand before God, and God's going to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? And you can respond in one of two ways. You can say, I was perfect. That's a lie. Or you can say, I am a friend of your son, Jesus, and he's already paid For my way in. Jesus Christ has paid for your admission into heaven. Today, do you know him? Is he the Lord and Savior of your life? If not, it's real simple. You just say, Lord, forgive me of the sin of unbelief. And let me place my faith and my trust in you as my Savior and Lord. And you're in. You're in. Maybe there would be one, maybe two in the house today that have never made a public profession of their faith in Christ. Today could be the greatest day in your whole life if you would say yes to the Lord Jesus. Maybe there are some in the house today that have been Christians for a long time, close to the Lord for a long time. You've moved to our area or you've been visiting our church and you'd like to be a part of a Bible-believing, preaching church. If that's the case, we'd love to have you come and join with us and serve the Lord with us as we go about uh, doing the things that we are sure, because of his word, that he wants us to do. We're going to have an invitation. By that, I mean that I'm going to stand right down here at the front, and I'm going to invite you to make any kind of spiritual decision that you would want to make, that you can just slip out and slip forward and come up and say, Ron. I want to take Christ as my Savior today. I've never done that. I want to get that in order before I die. Or you might want to come up and say, I love this church. I love the singing. I just, people are so nice and friendly. I want to be a part of a church like this. You just come on up. The doors of our church are wide open. We want you to come. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to sing. If the Lord leads, you come. Let's stand together.